see all of you here. Welcome. Um, this week is going to be a busy week here. We have our rummage sale, our, our semi-annual now rummage sale. Uh, we will be here working on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you don't have anything else to do, or even if you do, come and join us and help us set up and price things and get things going so that the sale on Friday and Saturday will go smoothly. Um, thank you all for being here. And again, I do not have the long script that we normally um, read out. No, it's okay. It's all right. Um, so thank you, and please uh, enjoy the service. And now we enter, uh, uh, we enter into the spirit of reverence. Thank you. Morning. Let's do that again. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. Today's opening and closing words are part one and part two of a single article written in 2013 by Huffington Post contributor Micah J. Murray. Murray comes from a Christian background, and his article uses biblically gendered language. And I am going to read his article as written. For my own part, I mean for it to include everyone on the gender orientation spectrum, no matter where you fall, no matter who you are. I hope you will take away ideas that you can use outside of these walls into the wider community of the world. It's a special sort of condescending love we've res re reserved for the gay community. We'll agree to love them, accept them, welcome them, but we reserve the right to see them as different. We reserve the right to say them instead of us. So I'm done. I'm done. I can't look my gay brother in the eye anymore and say, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. I can't keep drawing circles in the sand. I thought I just needed to try harder. Maybe I needed to focus more on loving the sinner and less on protesting the sin. But even if I was able to fully live up to that ideal, I'd still be wrong. I'd still be viewing him as something other, 
something different. Not human, not friend, not Christian, not brother. Sinner. And despite all my theological disclaimers about how I'm just as much a sinner too, it's not the same. We don't use that phrase for everybody else, only them, only the gays. That's the only place where we make sinner the all-encompassing identity. Then we try to reach them, to evangelize them. We speak of the gays in words reminiscent of the savages from those old missionary stories, foreign and different and far away, the ultimate conquest for the church to tame and colonize and save. Maybe we accept them in our midst, but even then it's sinners in our midst. Branded with a rainbow-colored scarlet letter, they aren't truly part of us. Even that word, them, makes me cringe as I speak it, as if my brothers and sisters are somehow other, different from me. It's a special sort of condescending love we've reserved for the gay community. We'll agree to love them, to accept them, and welcome them, but we reserve the right to see them different. We reserve the right to say them instead of us. We embrace them with arms full of disclaimers about how all the sinners are welcome here. And yet, they're the only ones we constantly remind as their status, of their status as sinners. Welcome, sinners. In all this, we turn our backs on all the gay brothers and sisters already in our church, already following Jesus. Our us versus them narrative leaves little space for those who didn't choose to be gay, but did choose to follow Jesus. Using gay and sinner interchangeably, we force them away from the table and into the shadows. They say Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he didn't describe himself that way. His motto wasn't eating and drinking with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Those were labels used by the religious community, by the disapproving onlookers. What's amazing about Jesus is that when he hung out with sinners, he didn't act like they were sinners. They weren't a project or a mission field. They were his friends. People with names. Defined as beloved children of the Creator, not defined by their sins. Icons of God's image. His brothers and sisters. It was the Pharisees who looked at them and scrawled sinner on their foreheads. It was the accusers who drew circles in the sand with themselves on the inside and those sinners on the outside. Those words, a friend of sinners, were spoken with an upturned nose and a self-righteous sneer. And that's the same phrase the church has adopted to speak of our own brothers and sisters. Love the sinner, hate the sin. It's the same self-righteous sneer heard in the words of those who dragged the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. What should we do with such a woman? They defined her by a moment. She was one of those, not a sinner, not a sister, not a human, just a pawn in a political debate, a sinner. But Jesus knelt with her in the sand unafraid to get dirty, unafraid to affirm her humanity. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He could have said, you're a sinner, but I love you anyway. But he knew she was a sinner. Those voices were loud and near and they held rocks above her head. 
Jesus refused to let his voice join in theirs. By telling her to go and sin no more, he affirmed that sin is not her deepest identity. It's not how he saw her. It's not who she was at the core of her being. Now will you join us in lighting the chalice? The words are printed in the handouts on your pews. Just project. We'll just project. Please join us in lighting the chalice. We gather this hour as people of faith with joys and sorrows, gifts and needs. We light this beacon of hope, sign of our quest for truth and meaning in celebration of the life we share together. And now if you would open your hymnals to number 170, we will sing, We Are a Gentle, Angry People. And you can stand as you are willing and able. You may. One, 170. Yes. And we're going to do verses 1 and 2 and 5. Join with me also, the affirmation of faith is printed on the handouts in the pews. Love, Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is a sacrament. Service is prayer. And this is our covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. And now we greet our neighbor, and since we're all masked up, we do it contactless, so you can wave, say hello to everybody. Good morning.
I need to stand back. <laughs> story, although it does say the true story, is called Born Ready, the true story of a boy named Penelope. Does anybody, would anybody like to come up here and sit here with me as I read the story? It has pictures. I'll show you the pictures. And if I get down, will I get up? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I think I can do it if I, if I have my knees lower than my oh, hips. Okay. I don't know. Is this working? Oh, yeah, that's working. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's better. Like that. That's better. Okay. Everybody can hear me, right? All right. I'll show you the pictures. She's on a skateboard. And on the back, she's a ninja. Born Ready, the true story of a boy named Penelope. I'm no ordinary kid. I'm a ninja. Ninjas are smart. Ninjas are strong. Ninjas always win the fight. Usually ninjas have ninja names. But my parents named me after my grandmother, Penelope. And that makes things hard. Penelope, you're so cute. You look like your sister. No one understands. Big Brother acts like he knows everything. Penelope, do you know that the air around a lightning bolt is hotter than the sun? Nope. Do you know that everything has a scientific explanation? Nope. I may not know everything, but I know what I like. Skateboards and high tops, baggy blue jeans, button front shirts, math, science, and getting straight A's, and most of all, a mohawk haircut, please. Mama is the busiest person I know. Papa is the strongest person I know. Big brother is the smartest. Big sister is the bossiest. And baby, he's the happiest. He can make anyone smile. Mm -hmm. If they'd all stop and listen, I'd tell them about me. Inside, I'm a boy. When I close my eyes and dream, I'm a boy. When I karate chop the bad guys, I am a boy. But my family is too busy to notice. I stomp through the house so they hear me. I cut the line at the playground so they see me. I pound my fists hard so they feel me. Time out, Pleppy. Why are you so angry, Mama asks. Because everyone thinks I'm a girl. However you feel is fine, baby. It's what's on the inside that matters most. If you feel like a boy, that's okay. No, Mama, I don't feel like a boy. I am a boy. Oh, Mama gets quiet. 
I love you, Mama, but I don't want to be you. I want to be Papa. I don't want tomorrow to come because tomorrow I'll look like you. Please help me. Help me, Mama. Help me be a boy. I hold Mama's hand and transfer some of my ninja powers to help her understand. Then Mama says the best word I've ever heard. Yes, she says. We will make a plan to tell everyone we love what we know. What's that? That you are a boy. For the first time, my insides don't feel like fire. They feel like warm, golden love. Our family is from all over the world, and Mama says that makes us wise. Grandpa G flies from Ghana for my birthday. Mama bakes a cake. We gather around the table. Akwaba, says Mama. Penelope is not a pretend boy or a tomboy. He is our five-year-old big boy. All eyes are stuck on me. Grandpa G slams his hand down on the table. Ah, chale, in my language of twee, Gender isn't such a big deal. We don't use gender pronouns. I don't understand everything, but I do know Grandpa G is smiling. Good, let's eat cake. <laughs> but Big Brother isn't smiling, he looks mad. This doesn't make, a sen make sense. You can't become a boy. You have to be born one. Mama puts her arms around both of us and pulls us tight. Not everything needs to make sense. This is all about love, she whispers. Papa stands up tall. Well, P, if you want me to call you a boy, you'll have to tell me yourself. I stand up tall, too. I am a boy. It's Monday, and Mama says school is my responsibility. I'm going to show my friends all of me. I put on my blue pants. I button my favorite shirt. I tighten my long tie, and I feel good. I walk into school like I own the joint, just like Grandpa Johnny Boy from Harlem taught me. <laughs> hey, Penn, why are you wearing a boy's uniform, my friend Big D asks. Because I am a boy, and I like my full name, please, Penelope. Yeah, that makes sense, and you look great, he says. We high five. Principal asks to see me, Penelope. I heard your classmates were asking about your uniform, she says. Were you embarrassed? I want to tell the principal that ninjas don't get embarrassed. We get busy. But I just shake my head, no. Your parents told me you are a boy. Is that true? I think like a boy. I feel like a boy. I might look different from other boys, but yes, I'm sure I'm a boy. Well, Penelope, today you are my teacher. Mama says ninjas need to be powerful, so I study karate. Lil P, you ready for this? Master Bill asks. He's the loudest man I know, and I like it. He teaches me how to fight and train hard with my team. Lil P, give me a left foot roundhouse kick, Master Bill says. I try my best, but it's confusing. No, your left foot, left. Master Bill says if you don't do, you can't become. Mama says winners are losers who get back up. I say, ninjas don't quit. I practice every day breathing and stretching, blocking and punching. Most important, I learn to get back up. Master Bill says I'm ready. Papa drives us to my first tournament. I bring my cheering squad. 
Baby, are you sure you want to fight? Mama asks. Remember to protect yourself, Papa says. Don't worry, I tell them. I'm not afraid. And then Big Brother jumps in. Ninjas never back down from a challenge. P, you got this, he says. When we check in at the front desk, my teammates are already there. Yo, you ready, P? Born ready. <laughs> my opponent is tall. My opponent is fast. We've both come to win. This won't be easy. I shuffle my feet, I bob from side to side. Boom, roundhouse kick to the head. I score, I win. When they give out the gold, what name will they call? And the gold goes to Penelope. Me, it's my time. I'm a boy named Penelope. I believe that's it. Thank you so much for being my audience. And now I would like to introduce our speakers, Barb Langle at this time. Well, I can 97% guarantee you that this is it for a while. I never say never. In case there's anybody that doesn't know, my daughter is gay. So this subject is very close to my heart. A couple months ago, I asked Maggie why we didn't have a gay service, gay or transgender service during Pride Month. Well, she said that just starting in person again, <laughs> that it was, it was forgotten and that we might do something in October. So I asked her to let me know, to decide what they decide to do. Then the worship committee was asking for volunteers to participate in services. They were having a rough time. So Membership Caring gave a service, and our book group gave a service, and I was in both of those because I belonged to both of those. And then Maggie let me know that they were planning this service. And when I heard the topic was coming out, I really wanted to be a part of this, so I asked her to ask Patricia if I could make a part of it. First of all, I would like to show you a couple of photos so you can relate to who I'm talking about. And then I would like to give you a, a little background before sharing the coming out story. This first picture is of me, my daughter, Teresa, and Rachel. It was her, her wife now. But this is the first time I met Rachel, and I fell in love with her from the beginning. I'm just thrilled with them. They got married, well, they exchanged their vows about 11 years ago. And a minister from a church, something like ours, performed the ceremony on the waters with the beautiful blue sky. And then when, it, when they were able, because that took a while, they did it legally. <laughs> this is my family now. Teresa, Rachel, my little apple, and my new little ocean. This is my world. Well, besides my little dog, Missy. Okay, Teresa joined the Army right after high school which kind of took me by surprise. She had a couple scholarships for college, 
and I had an insurance policy for her to help with costs. We also had applied for student loans. We were all prepared, and then came along the recruiter. When she left the service, she was stationed in Seattle and decided to stay there, and soon after started working for the federal government in different capacities. A couple of years ago, she ended up in the Veterans Administration, where she helps outgo outgoing veterans get benefits that are owed to them. Teresa's father, my first husband, played a very small role in her life. Actually, my late husband, Joe, was more of a father to her, even though we didn't get together until Teresa was in high school. Mostly, it was just the two of us, and I thought we were very close. Anyway, about 25 years ago, I received a letter in the mail from Teresa which was unusual because we talked on the phone. There was no Skype or FaceTime or anything 25 years ago. And she really hadn't mailed letters to me since she was in the Army. Well, the letter was pretty lengthy, and it basically was a coming out letter. I cried. And I mean a loud long, ugly cry. I cried because, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cried because I knew the obstacles she had to face and I worried about her safety. I had a, a very, I had a couple of gay friends in school and I constantly watched them, watched them get harassed. And I felt bad that she couldn't confide in me sooner. Third, I selfishly thought I would never have grandchildren. Well, as you know, I have two lovely grandchildren, but I have to confess that I had a feeling she was gay long before she told me. So I had no right to feel bad that she didn't confide in me sooner. I should have brought the subject up to her. I think I just didn't want to know for sure because I didn't want to have to worry. But I could have taken a big burden off Teresa and we could have had a much closer relationship. I will never forgive myself for that. I believe most moms and many dads kind of know, and I hope my story will prompt them to start a conversation with their children as a caring, inclusive community that are struggling, that are struggling along with our, our world, our people. I'm hoping that we could find ways to reach out to the youth of our community that are struggling with their gender identity. Of course, there is still a lot of work to be done on gay and transgender rights. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this story.
And now for our next story, we have Mary Lou Fanning. I hope you all don't mind me sitting down. I was way too tall for this podium. <laughs> so good morning, everyone. Um, good, morning. good morning. I hope you all brought your pencils and your notebooks because the, uh, the question for today's quiz will be, um, is it possible to live your transgender dream in Technicolor? Now you think about that. And there'll be a, a short fill in the blank question at the end. Um, no, really, it's so nice to be here because uh, uh, you are my favorite kind of audience. Now, not Unitarians, a captive audience. Uh, the doors are locked and you can't get out. So any attempt at escaping will be futile. So a few weeks ago, um, my roommate asked me if I'd like to watch a movie with her, and uh, the main character in this movie was going to die in the end, and that's what the whole movie was about. And I said, good Lord, why would you want to watch a movie that's so depressing? And she said, well, the movie's really more about the main character getting the opportunity to live his dream before he passed, and, it, and that part of it touched her deeply. Well, me being me, um, I made a rather flippant, casual remark. I know it's hard to believe. Um, and I just said, well, I'm living my dream now. And after I said it, it, it sort of hit me that even though it was a flippant little throwaway statement, it was, it was really not just true, but kind of profound. And uh, well, that is a sort of genius that runs in my family you know, the accidental kind. So the first dream that I got to live was um, having a family and uh, raising children. And of that period of my life, um, and I suspect from, you know, most uh, parents whose children have grown up, um, the memories are that you hold most dear and are most vivid um, are things you did with kids. And um, you kind of lose the memories of how, what, uh, any kind of struggle that it was. And so um, I wasn't, I suspect, oh, not the only one that it took me till they were all grown up to realize uh, that I was living a dream at that time. But the, um, so anyway, the second dream that I got to live was the opportunity to play music in front of an audience. Now, as a teenager, I fell in love with folk music, and I thought it would be so cool to be able to make music that not only conveyed a message, but sounded so good as well. Uh, so right then and there, another dream was born, and so I saved up some money, bought an acoustic guitar, eventually I got me a tailor, um, learned a few chords, and voila, I was a folk singer. I started writing songs and doing my best Arlo Guthrie imitation, and it's true, I was awful. <laughs> so, actually this was not the end of that dream, but the beginning of what became a lifelong pursuit. And eventually, after years and years, and then a few more years of uh, diligent practice, I finally achieved a level of mediocrity that all of my good musician friends took pity on me and said, okay, you can, you can play with us now. 
However, along the way, I did get to go into a studio and uh, record a real CD that I'm very proud to have been a part of. In fact, I am so proud of it that if you ever get trapped, I mean, get the opportunity to ride in my car. <laughs> I did mention I, I love a captive audience. Right? <laughs> well, that brings me to the uh, importance of coming out, which was why I was asked to speak here today. So I thought I'd better include some of that in here. Um, really, coming out is the biggest step towards achieving your in any LGBTQ dream. Now in the last century, most of us who were transgender stayed in the closet and lived a double life. Um, when we needed to express our, uh, our true feminine nature, and when that became overwhelming, there was always an equally overwhelming fear of all the consequences. For most of us, coming out would have resulted in losing our, our, everything in our life, everything from family to friends to jobs, the income, the housing that went with that. And then don't overlook the incessant ridicule and disrespect that was going to become the soundtrack of our lives. And this would inevitably send us scurrying back into the closet and to the kind of emotional distress that's really difficult to accurately describe to, to people that, that don't experience it. But have no doubt, serious emotional distress it is. For over one third, actually 41% of all transgender people, uh, the, the distress of staying in the closet and hiding is so strong that 41% that, uh, attempt suicide. And that's not just some, some statistic that are, that's an abstract number. It, it apply, it, that applies to an, a faceless, anonymous group. Um, in the building alone where I live, there are three transgender women. Of the three, two of them attempted suicide more than once, and one of them is in a wheelchair for life because of her last attempt. Now, the last attempt, which, however, um, she does not regret because it also resulted in her subsequent transition and current happiness with her life. Uh, living as a woman. And not coincidentally, the only family support that either of these women have ever had was, is the support of their transgender family because their blood relatives gave them none and were, were actively uh, anti-trans. So today, thankfully, coming out as well as transitioning is no longer the unbelievably frightening prospect that it once was. Whether you're in your teens or your golden years, it's still life-altering and still very frightening. Not, not, remember, not every family and not every region in the country is open to LGBTQ people. However, today, at least when you are dreaming about making the change and you're at the point in your life when you, when you simply have to do it, you have to come out or you have to transition, Today, walking through that door is far more acceptable. Uh, it still takes courage to walk through it, but thank you to more and more people like you, the Unitarians, and special days like the coming out day, we're getting closer and closer to the time when coming out and or transitioning will be no big deal. It's, it's almost to the point of being commonplace now. Now that is such a far cry from the turn of the century, just 21 years ago. 
In fact, if you go back just 20 more years to 1980, the young people in the audience would be in a world you, you wouldn't even recognize. In, in 1980, most of us trans women were, were secretly buying our clothes, occasionally sneaking out in the middle of the night to go to a gay bar that would actually serve us, uh, joining secret societies, uh, having clandestine meetings, and never allowing ourselves to even dream the dream that someday we could come out and simply acknowledge that we were transgender, let alone transition to living as a woman. Today, the younger generation simply can't fathom how deep-seated that fear of being found out and exposed really was. And that's a good thing. The other thing that's so hard to accurately convey is the overwhelming feeling of relief and joy that comes when you no longer have to live under the stress and weight of that fear. I personally, I don't regret the 54 years that I lived as a man. I've certainly been far happier since, though. My life has been so much more satisfying and enjoyable since I transitioned. So if having lived the dreams of parenthood and the, the dream of playing music was the cake of my life, then living the dream of my womanhood is certainly the frosting. I like whipped cream frosting, please. Um, so while the expiration date is not, uh, uh, my expiration date's not imminent, and I have no plan to expire any time in the near future, the time to reflect on my life is here. And the fact is that if I died tomorrow, I, I will have lived a full life. I will have not only gotten to live my dreams, but I'm living my dream today. Every day from here on out is a bonus, and it's all downhill on a powered wheelchair. Coming out made my life so much better, and I truly don't think it would have been possible without the Unitarians leading the push for the kind of social change that made it possible. So from the bottom of my delicate little transgender heart, I want to thank you all, all of you, thank you very much for making my life better. And I am living my transgender dream. And by the way, it is in Technicolor. If you don't get 100% on this quiz, you're, gonna, you're just going to be the failure for the year. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, by the way, this is my joy for the day. It's my brand new foot, and I got it just Friday. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Thank you, Mary Lou, and thank you, Barb. Now it is time to take our offering. The uh, paper money, the paper money goes to the work of this church and the loose change for social change in the little cups goes to work outside of the walls of this building. Today's loose, this month's loose change for social change goes to the Holiday Family Giving Project.
Thank you. What is freely given is gratefully received. Part two of today's closing words. I am a sinner, but before I was a sinner, I was created in the image of God. While sin has twisted and smudged that image, it can't erase it. Sin is so terrible that it killed Jesus. But it doesn't define me any longer. I am a new creation. Because of Jesus, sinner is not how God sees me. It's not how I see myself. And it shouldn't be how I see my brothers and sisters in the church. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. To look at my gay Christian brother and say, God loves the sinner, is to set myself against Jesus and bring condemnation again to those he's already redeemed. So I'm done. I'm done with love the sinner but hate the sin. I won't say it any more. I'm done with speaking as if I'm different, better than you. We are icons. We are children of the creator redeemed by Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. And today, that's enough. Oh, um, if you would like to open your teal hymnals, Joe will lead us in number, what number is it, Joe? 1053. 1053. 1053. What? How could anyone? Yes, how could anyone? It's called 1053. How could anyone? I believe on the sheet music for this song, um, it says that it was commissioned for the LGBTQ community in a congregation in Ohio, I believe. Don't quote me, please. So we have a history lesson to go to, so.
you will join us, please, with the extinguishing of the chalice, also printed on the cards in the pews. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we